Hello and welcome to Cybercrime Investigations. The wild hunt for the WannaCry hackers with Jeff White and Glenn Goodman. So I guess the first thing we should do is introduce ourselves, say who we are. Who are you? My name is Glenn Goodman. I am a financial journalist and trader. I specialise in cryptocurrencies. And I'm Jeff White. I'm an investigative journalist and I cover technology. Um, I think also I'd like to be honest about why we're doing this. I mean, this is ultimately, this is what happens when investigative journalism goes wrong. Um, <laughs> I, ha- I think I think people have this idea of investigative journalists as being, um, uh, as, that we always have an idea of, of where it's going to end up. That, that uh, Generally, I've got stuff right in the past. I've done investigative journalism and I have, you know, found the people behind crimes and stuff. I have done that. I'm not a total fantasist about these things. Well, what went wrong? I ended up in a hole, basically. I started well, investigating. Not literally. I started the investigation. It kind of went a bit weird. And I thought, well, it's fine. It's fine. I'll just keep digging. And my, my reaction on finding myself in the hole was to keep digging, basically. And then you just end up in a bigger hole. But the story of how I got in the hole, I think, is quite fun. How deep is this hole? It's about a six-month hole, this one. Wow. Which is longer than... I mean, I've done investigations that have been over sort of seven, eight months, nine months-ish. And I've done investigations where I've done a bit, and then I've gone back to it, and I've done a bit more. But this is the longest, like, six months of time without really publishing anything and without getting anywhere and just working on that. I like this. You know why? Because it sounds like it's a story of utter failure. <laughs> and usually you only hear about people's successes, don't you? Yes. People always trumpet their successes, particularly in investigative journalism. Yes. It's like, I dug and dug. I was like the yeah. Watergate guys and I got to the meat of it eventually. But yeah. it was hard on the way. Yeah. What you don't hear about is people who dug and dug and they put their all into it. And then it was all a waste of time. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm trying to make myself think it wasn't a waste of time. Yeah. I mean, by doing this, and this is partly why I'm doing this, but also I did find out things along the way, and I've I found out stuff. It's just not quite enough stuff to justify the amount of time. We should also say this is about the um, the WannaCry cyber attack. Yes. Which you do you remember this? This is from last year. This hit the NHS particularly badly. Do you remember yes. seeing headlines on this one? Yes, absolutely. I remember the WannaCry virus. It hit all those different computers. I think they were all Windows computers, weren't they? It was a Windows virus, yes. And uh, there was somebody asking for money. Yes, you've hit the nail on the head. Good, because is that the end of the podcast then? <laughs> yeah, we've tied up. Yes. <laughs> um, basically, WannaCry was, uh, was ransomware. It's what's called ransomware. It's, it's very easy to explain ransomware, which is why I like talking about ransomware they put a virus on your computer it scrambles all of your files and then when you turn your computer on you get a screen that pops up and it says we scrambled all of your files Um, to get your files back you have to pay a ransom hence the name ransomware Mm. and it gives you a bitcoin wallet address this is almost like um, a bitcoin bank account we'll get into Bitcoin quite a lot later on but um, you, you pay the ransom and it's usually it's a few hundred quid it's not mega bucks it's a few hundred quid mm. they teach you how to say look you know here's how you set up a Bitcoin wallet here's how you get bitcoins here's how you pay us and then when you pay the ransom 
a lot of the time, actually, you do get your files back. They unscramble and they give you them back. Because if you didn't, no one would ever believe it and they would never pay again. So there's a, there's a vested interest for some of the criminals in unscrambling your files. I mean, I've got to wonder here, because this hit so many computers, mm. how many computers, roughly? It was, I think, 200,000 around the world. Have I got that right? Okay, so if every time somebody pays, one of those 200,000 people 300, pays... 200,000 in 150 countries. All right, so if, yeah. if we don't know, I guess, how many of the 300,000 paid up... Or do we? We do. Well, we know the figure. We don't know how many paid. Well, what I'm but wondering we is, that was is uh, if loads of them were paying mm. and then having their files unscrambled, mm. how many criminals are there? There must be a massive call centre of criminals unscrambling people's files and receiving the money. And It's automated. It's pretty much automated. When you pay the ransom... Yeah. Um, as part of the ransom payment, the criminals will get the, I don't know, the ID of your computer, let's say. Yeah. And so they receive the ransom and that unlocks the key to unscramble your files. So it's not like the criminals having to go one by one through each of your files and go, oh, there's a picture of his kids, let's unscramble that. It, it, when you've paid up, you get one key and that key will unscramble all the files on your computer. Okay. Yeah? Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. Yeah. That does. Yeah. So I so, guess you don't need... Too many people working on it. No, you can lend. You can automate it a lot. So they could rationalise their stuff. Exactly. Now, this is what you're trying to do as a cyber criminal. You're trying to do, uh, you know, what they call uh, a high volume, low margin. Right. So you, you infect thousands of computers, ideally millions of computers around the world. You don't make that much money from each of them. But because it's all automated, you can just infect a whole bunch at once and then you make your money. And, you, you know, it's what I call the Superman 2 effect. Do you, do you remember Superman 2? I remember it well. Richard Pryor was in Superman 2, was he not? I think you're talking about Superman 3 there. Oh! <laughs> Superman 2 was General Zod. Right. Oh, you're right. Neil before Zod. But no, Richard Pryor in Superman 3 had this thing about skimming off the quarter cents and the half cents. Do you remember oh, that bit? yes, that's right. He was like, oh, there's all these millions of He wrote some plan on a cigarette packet, he didn't did. he? Yeah. He did. And, it, and this is, so the, the classic cybercrime model is the Richard Pryor model of you know, making small amounts of money, but on a huge scale, and you make loads of money. Right, brilliant. Yeah, one, one. Sorry, ransomware. not brilliant. Terrible, no, terrible, terrible. terrible. Um, insightful. <laughs> um, one ransomware campaign, one strain of one ransomware campaign made something like three hundred million dollars. Okay, like it's big money. It's that huge is money. big money. But because because the amounts are small, nobody ever really. It does. It doesn't get into the. It didn't get into the media a lot because the amounts were really tiny. So nobody ever really, you know. And because you never really got the definite final figure. Exactly, yeah, of yeah. course. The problem. There's a problem with ransomware though, which is to make it work, you've got to put it on thousands of computers around the world, millions of computers around the world. Mm. The classic sort of delivery mechanism has been email. Yeah. Problem with that is, you need a million email addresses or whatever to send it to. And if you try and spam a million email addresses at once, you get caught. So you have to do it in chunks and you have to disguise the virus. And then... And I guess only a small number of those people will actually open the link on the email and get infected anyway. Exactly. So they were looking for a way of spreading this to more computers. Mm. That's your classic thing as as a ransomware guy. You're like, how many computers can I get this on? So they were looking for a way they could automate that bit. Yes. So we can automate the payment, we can automate the infection. Can we automate the spreading of the virus? Yes. That's where the spy agency, the National Security Agency in the US comes in, allegedly. Right. What did they do? Well, they discovered... Only good things, I'm sure. Allegedly, they discovered a flaw in the Windows operating system. So Windows, obviously, is a computer system most people use... There's this file sharing thing that Windows has. So if you've got a computer in your bedroom and, yeah. you wanna, and you've got music on it and you yeah. want to listen to it in the living room, 
There's this thing you can set up where the two computers will share. Yeah, like home networking. Yeah, I think is, yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing. Now, that's good because you can share the music. You can also use it to share viruses from one computer to another. Oh, great. So it's alleged... I never knew about that, that, well, uh, that ex- useful feature of the software. Exactly. Well, apparently the National Security Agency did. Instead of telling, for example, Microsoft or maybe us, the NSA kept it to themselves. It's then alleged it was hacked from the NSA mm. and then leaked on the dark web. It was leaked by a bunch called Shadow Brokers. They had this vulnerability and they said, OK, here's how you can share viruses from one computer to another. We've discovered it, we're selling it, and the guys who build the ransomware looked at this and thought, this is brilliant, we, don't, we no longer have to email the ransomware to people, mm. we can just spread it automatically from computer to computer, and it'll just automatically spread. And that's what they did. That was WannaCry. So it wasn't interesting because it was, ransomware's been around for ages. What was interesting about WannaCry and the reason it spread was because it used this, this problem, this vulnerability in Windows. When you say that it automatically spread... Yes. Do you, is it the case that people still had to drag it through some mechanism from computer to computer, or did it literally jump without any prompting from computer to computer? If, if as I understand it, if all your computers are connected to one network, like mm. one sort of Wi-Fi network or whatever, the, comp- the, the virus would land on one computer, and it would then... Um, ask the network and say, hey, are there any other computers on this network that have got this Windows feature enabled? And the network would go, oh yeah, there's a computer in the living room, there's one in the office, there's one, there's one here. And the computer that got infected would send the file to each of those other computers on the network. So if you think about it, the more computers you've got on the network, the more computers are going to get infected. That's but interesting. It automatically spread. Usually you kind of think about having to execute a virus. Mm. You have to actually, you know, it's a program. You have mm. to execute it in order for it to start carrying out instructions or to communicate with mm. the mm. system and decide to jump from A to B. Mm. But in this case, it was it was sort of executing automatically as soon as a computer was infected. It's got a backdoor, basically, into computers on the network. Right. Yeah. So... So it got everywhere. Well, well, yes, but it got everywhere thanks to another useful bit of the WannaCry ransomware. Because if you think about it, imagine your home. If, if it got onto the computers in your home, then yes, it might infect all the computers in your home. Yeah. But then that would be it. The entire outbreak would be Glenn's house, which okay. would be quite easy to, to, to contain. Yeah. Um, but obviously it spread to 300,000 computers. So what happened was this. As it reaches more and more computers, every now and again, it would randomly call out for an address somewhere on the internet at random and say, hey, have you got this particular Windows system installed that allows us to share files? And if the computer responded yes, they would send the virus to that computer and it would spread from there as well. Oh, I see. So it could hop from... This is like somebody with a... I don't know, somebody with Ebola getting on a plane in Paris and going to New York. Suddenly you can you infect a whole new site and your infection starts from there as well. IHOP. IHOP. Mm. What? That's the International House of Pancakes. <laughs> uh, it works in this context as well. It really does. Yeah. The new Apple product. IHOP. <laughs> Jump from place to place. So it infected, what, the whole of the NHS or just parts of it? A third of NHS trusts ended up infected. Wow. And there's, there is no evidence, I should say, that any of the trusts paid the ransom, but... Well, then how did they get it off their computers? I mean, wasn't it... I seem to remember that it, uh, emergency procedures had yeah. to be cancelled and yeah. all kinds of stuff. I mean, it was yeah. really affecting people's lives. What's interesting about ransomware is if one option is pay the ransom, um, you unscramble the files, you get your files back. That's yeah. one option. 
Another option is just to completely reset the computer and completely reinstall it. It doesn't, it doesn't kill the actual gubbins of the computer. Yeah. It just scrambles all the files and has the screen. So if you reset the whole computer and factory reset it, you get the computer back. But then you lose all the files. Exactly. But if you've got a backup of the files somewhere else... Like somewhere hard that's drive, not infected? Exactly. I mean, well, is that what the NHS did then? That somehow the virus was not able to infect the backups? I've got two presumptions here. Presumption number one is some of them had backups that weren't infected. Yeah. Number two is if you think about it, a lot of the NHS stuff is stored, you know, on a network somewhere. So it's not stored on the local computer. It's stored, you know, in the in the main sort of system somewhere. So presumably, computers got infected, but they could shut them down without the actual information being infected. Restart the computer, reinstall the thing, and then reinstall the data after that. So the big question at the time, I remember, was why on earth is the NHS, Mm. one of our most vital resources in the UK, one of the things we need the most, why was that infected far more than practically any other organisation in the world? Yeah, it's a good good question. And this is one of the things I sort of started investigating. I'd love to tell you there's there's one answer, like that it's, you know, because of X. There was a whole buzz about... um, People were using Windows XP, and that was why they got infected, because they were using an old version of Microsoft Windows. Mm. Uh, and actually, that wasn't the case. The newer versions could also be infected. The, the difference with the older version of Windows with XP was that you couldn't uh, update it. Right. Microsoft had said, that's it. it's so old, we're not going to update it. So when they released an update that, that sealed this hole that, that, that the virus was getting through... People with newer operating systems could, could update and seal the hole, but if you had an older system like XP, you couldn't update it. The hole would just be remain open. Right. Microsoft have now fixed that, by the way. They're, they're fixing the hole even for the older systems. But So people said, oh, the NHS has got all these old Windows XP machines. Yeah, that's why they were here. Mm, sort of. But it's a, it's, a, it's a real combination of reasons. Like The NHS has got almost, ironically for the NHS, it's the perfect breeding ground for this virus. Right, <laughs> old old computers. Not much money to spend on on IT. I mean, one I was at an event. There's an IT security manager for the NHS. He said his budget for the whole year was something like ten or twenty thousand pounds. It's interesting it's because um, some years ago now, when I was a, a TV news correspondent, I did a, a number of stories about the failed NHS IT mm. um, project. Yes, that. If you remember this, that yeah. they tried to upgrade the entire IT system for the NHS and the government mm. of the time somehow messed it up with regards to the various contractors that they uh, hired and the rest of it. It all went wrong and they lost many, many billions of pounds. At mm. the last count, when I, the last time I did a story, I will remember it was somewhere between <laughs> 10 and 12 billion pounds yeah. Yeah. was completely written off because the project was so screwed up mm. that they couldn't rescue it. They'd spent that much money... Yeah. And then they just went, uh, yeah, yeah. It ain't, it's not worth yeah. saving. And We're going to give it up altogether. So yeah. I guess that's why they're left with all this legacy hardware and software. It's partly that. I mean, you're, you're trying to upgrade the NHS. You're trying to upgrade, you know, it's one of the world's biggest employers. Yeah. Right? And most of those employees will have access to a computer somewhere. It's just got so many, so many computers. Yeah. So that's partly it, that this virus had lots of places to go. Um, the other issue is the NHS has got, has got kit that you can't turn... To, to update the kit, you have to turn it off and on again, right? Right. <laughs> now, you know, you're on life support. Somebody comes along and says, you know, we'll just turn it off and on again. <laughs> Hopefully, when it turns on again, you'll still be breathing. You know, there was yeah. stuff that Can you Can you hold your breath for a minute? <laughs> <laughs> I'll count to 30, and we'll see how this goes. So, but also, there's stuff like... Um, 
I don't know, electron microscopes, for example, might be connected to a computer. Yeah. And it's like, well, who's going to who's gonna hack that? Why would, we, why would we spend time and money securing that computer when ultimately it's just connected to a microscope or a machine that goes... You know, there's, it, it had so much kit and, and the cost of it was so... Uh, so much to secure it all against this. Yeah, they hadn't bothered. So that's why it's spread among. Is that that's the sort of long answer? But it's the perfect combination of factors. Okay, well, that explains a few things, doesn't it? So they, mm. so they found themselves in this terrible fix. Yes. And how did they get out of it? How come we never hear about it now? Like everything's okay. Well, well, there was uh, there was an off switch in the virus. What? Yes. Um... <laughs> Why on earth would the criminals put an off switch? Well, um, there's a, actually there's a good answer to that. If you're a criminal and you accidentally unleash your own virus on yourself or in your own uh, network, yeah. you want a way of turning it off. Yeah, right? I guess you would. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in this particular case, one of the things the virus would do when it infected a computer was it would visit one or two particular websites yeah. out on the internet. And if it found anything on those websites, if it found those websites were up and running, yes. it would stop. Okay. But if it didn't find they were up and running, it would keep going. Right. So a very clever researcher called Marcus Hutchins found this in the code and went, well, who owns those websites then? And he visited them and went, well, nobody owns them. So I'll own them. I'll register them. And as soon as he did that, of course, every time the virus visited a website, they'd find that he'd registered and it was live and the virus stopped. So he managed, from the reports, almost single-handedly, to stop the spread of the virus. Gradually, it started slowing down because this virus would call out to these websites and so on. Why had the criminals not bothered to register the website? A very, very good question. There were a number of things... Because it's only like pound ninety-nine for <laughs> your first two years. It's... Maybe they were a bit short. <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they got £1.60. You know when you, you're in... You don't really want to use a card at the supermarket, so you start counting out. Maybe they, had, they were short of 30p. <laughs> Um, there were a number of things about the uh, WannaCry attack that that implied that the people who did it were quite shonky and didn't. It just it didn't seem quite finished. Right. And that's one of the elements. That why wouldn't you register these websites? Somebody else went to the other day said that he thinks this was a sort of um, an experimental virus that they wrote and accidentally leaked and unleashed. Yeah. That it was leaked by accident before it was ready to go. And one of the things they hadn't done yet was register these websites. Uh. It's, a, it's a very, that's a very intriguing conundrum. Just as a postscript, Marcus Hutchins, I should point out, is currently under arrest in the US. What? He is, yes. But he's a hero. Well, yes. I don't, from what I saw of Marcus Hutchins, I don't think he entirely wanted to be known as a massive media figure for being a hero. I, I think he got quite freaked out. He then arrived in the US and was promptly arrested by the FBI um, under suspicion of a previous virus not ransomware it's a banking virus that was written years ago he's charged with developing that virus and, and releasing it or selling it and uh he denies all the charges uh and, and it's currently ongoing i believe he's still in custody last i heard he's well whether he did it or not marcus hutchins is is surely a hero can't they give him like a time. royal one of trump's <laughs> royal pardons i don't think that exists in the u.s i don't anyway that song, Free Marcus Hutchins. Mm. They should re-release that. Because <laughs> it's, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, his his battle is somewhat similar to Nelson Mandela's, isn't it? It's a similar level. It is. Cybercrime. Well, Bobby you Island. know, Nelson was no angel back in his youth. <laughs> Just like maybe Marcus allegedly was or wasn't. Moving on. <laughs> um, so, anyway. So the whole thing starts to slow down. Oh, the other thing, of course, is 
Microsoft had unleashed, uh, had, had released a, a patch, a fix yeah. for this hole that, in computers that the virus was spreading through. Yes. So partly it's Marcus Hutchins. The other thing is obviously people just massively went, oh my God, I've got to update my Windows system. Okay. Uh, Microsoft had released an update in March, I think it was. WannaCry hit in May. So people had a couple of months to do it. Obviously they hadn't by May, so people started patching. So gradually the whole thing sort of wound to a halt. But um, before it wound to a halt, uh, people paid. People paid the ransom. They paid up. How? I mean, yeah, you said that uh, you weren't sure how many paid, but the amounts... The amounts totaled, I think it was about 80 bitcoins. By the way, is it Bitcoin or Bitcoins? <laughs> this, that's an interesting question. Is that a hornet's nest you want to kick? Well, now? because I'm writing a book currently, uh-huh. of course, on the subject. Um, I won't bother plugging it right now because I'm still busy writing it. There's no point. What would it be called, by the way? Is there a title? It will be called, we believe, The Crypto Trader. Oh. Because that's what I am, a crypto oh, trader. I've, I've made my money yeah. and now I'm going to help you make yours. <laughs> I should say that I've, I, you've not paid for this plug to be here I did, neither of us are getting paid anything for this no that's I just true. want to be absolutely upfront about that absolutely free right. podcast that ad was not planned <laughs> okay <laughs> anyway so yes is it bitcoin or bitcoins what's your view well that's the thing is Where that there found? really is not, not only is it unclear whether you say bitcoin as the plural or bitcoins mm. but also <clears> it's <throat> unclear whether you should use a capital letter or a small letter oh, yes, good point. so in the process of writing my book I can't I'm not decided. <laughs> I sometimes use a capital and sometimes I don't. I should probably get consistent with this. You're going to have to use a big fine and replace at the end of this, aren't yes. you? Because, <laughs> because you don't. You want to be consistent about the whole You're thing. You're right, and I just can't decide because sometimes a, a capital letter seems absolutely appropriate. Yeah, and sometimes, yeah, yeah. sometimes when you're just talking about a bunch of bitcoins, you yeah. think, well, really, should I use a capital letter? A, a lowercase one sounds more. It seems more groovy, doesn't it? That, yeah. that seems a bit more edgy. Like, oh, it's like iPhone is, is lowercase i. Yeah. Bitcoin with a lowercase b. Bitco.in. Oh. <laughs> or Bitcoin with a zero instead of an O. Yeah. Yeah. Very How good. How about that? Very good. Um, where were we? Yeah. About, <laughs> I can't remember. About 80 Bitcoins were paid. And what was interesting was, we should explain... Uh, That's how not actually much. It, it wasn't at the time. I mean, it was still like, I don't know... In excess of a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, hold on. When was this? This was May last year. So what? What would the May twenty seventeen? Yeah. Yeah. Already, Bitcoin was worth, uh, if I remember correctly, in May twenty seventeen, a couple of thousand dollars, two or three thousand dollars, something like that. So. Per so Bitcoin. Times 80. Yeah, so yeah. we're still only saying that for all this trouble that they mm, caused, mm. they only got a few hundred grand out of it. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, by December, if you if it peaked in December about $20,000 of Bitcoin. Oh, yes, was, yes, yeah. that's true. So yeah. if they'd waited, I mean, this is the thing. It's partly about getting the Bitcoins and getting the ransoms, but it's also partly about hanging on to that money and waiting until it kind of grows in value. Yes, yeah, so it, it, it went up 10 times in value yeah. since from between May 2017 to or approximately to uh, December. So then you'd be looking at above a million, wouldn't you? Bye. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, basically the way Bitcoin works, and you'll be familiar with this, is you have a, you have a Bitcoin wallet address. Yeah. And I've always described this as a bit like a, the easiest way, I think, for people is it's like a bank account. It's like a Bitcoin. It's almost like a bank account number, effectively. Yes. It's like a store of your Bitcoins. And each one's unique. Each Bitcoin wallet address is unique. Yes. So, so when you hit somebody's computer with ransomware, mm. you get them to pay their uh, ransom into a Bitcoin wallet address. 
Right, that's how it works, is that we scrambled your files, pay us a Bitcoin, here's the address you're going to transfer it to. Um, now, all of the addresses are public. So you can go on the internet and you can, you can enter in a Bitcoin wallet address and it will show you all the transactions in and out of that wallet address. Yeah. And as I understand it, this is, it's important that that's there so that people can trust Bitcoin. Is that broadly speaking? Yeah. Oh, look, you're calling on me for some expertise. Wow. Look, how the, look how the roles have reversed. I know. Look how that cookie's grumbling. Well, it's basically um, the way Bitcoin works is you would call it pseudonymous rather than anonymous. Oh, I like that. Uh, pseudonymous <clears throat> means that uh, you can't know who actually owns the Bitcoin. Mm. Um well, you can't know from the Bitcoin address itself because mm. it isn't necessarily linked to a particular person's mm. name. It mm. can be anonymous in that sense. And yet, as you quite rightly say, once you know a Bitcoin address, once you've seen some Bitcoin go to a particular address, you can then follow all the transactions uh, in and out of uh, that address. Yeah. And uh, so in that sense... It's very bad for criminals, Bitcoin, because it means that anybody can see yeah. all the different transa yeah. one, transactions yeah. that are going on. But at the same time, unless they make a really stupid mistake, like somehow link one of their transactions to a particular email address or something like that, which is the kind of thing that police look out for when they're trying to trace a criminal. You know, sooner or later, these people slip up and give away something of their real selves. And yeah. once that happens, then then you can uh, lock them down and catch the crims. And this this is what I thought I'd do. I figured I'd find out who's behind WannaCry by just tracing the Bitcoins. Because I figured, well, you know, GCHQ have probably given it a go, but <laughs> I've got a laptop and a free afternoon, <laughs> so I'll show them a thing or two. That was genuinely... I'd love to tell you that, that that wasn't... But that there's this element of hubris about doing this stuff where you go, oh, yes, I'm sure I can figure this out. So I figured... Look, you can. People have paid ransoms in bitcoins. You can trace bitcoins. Ergo, I can trace where the money went. I'll just trace it. It'll be fine. Well, you have to wonder: Are there any official investigations going on? Are there people at GCHQ trying to do what you did, or is it one of those things like in an American film where the where the the chief says? We're shutting this investigation down. <laughs> and they're like, no, chief, no. we've got to get to the bottom of it. No, it come, this comes on the big boys yeah. up top. You know, it's like, how do we know that anybody's even bothering? Because frankly, when you haven't got a kind of injured party, when you haven't got yeah. an individual victim yeah. crying to the newspapers every, every other week mm. and going, we want this solved. You know, and, and in this case, it is one of those. It's kind of, it just kind of disappears and nobody talks anymore yeah, about it. The, the National Crime Agency in the UK were definitely investigating it. I'd be surprised if they've given up. But it, you're right, I don't know how many people are doing this. And, and also... It just seems a bit rubbish. Like I say, Bitcoin, you know, in the past, mm. when there have been, you know, websites that use Bitcoin for mm. illegal purposes, like, uh, you know, the famous dark websites that you know Road, so yeah. much yeah. about, yeah, Silk Road and its successor yeah. sites, yeah. The, the powers that be always somehow manage to get to the bottom and find the, the perpetrators. Yes, yes, with this... Not quite so much. But what, 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 was go what I had going for me was that um, the ransoms were all paid into one of three addresses. Now, when you infect somebody's computer with ransomware, yeah. it's possible to, to create a new Bitcoin wallet address with the click of a mouse. You can just keep... It's almost like setting up a new bank account. Blah, 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 blah. You can just set up almost infinite numbers of new ones. Yeah. yeah? So most ransomware writers, good ones, would set up a new Bitcoin wallet for every ransom. 
Yeah. Which makes it really difficult to trace because I've then got an infinite number of wallets to trace or whatever. Yes. With this, because... And then this is one of the other things about WannaCry that's a bit shonky is, is they only ever had three wallet addresses. So you could see... You could just keep an eye on all three of them because you can look them up on the internet and you can give the number and, and you can look at what's in them and you could see ransoms being paid in. Mm. There's a Twitter account called Actual Ransom where you could see each day how many... <laughs> how, how much was, you know, was in there. Um, you have to kind of wonder, actually, why the criminals were using Bitcoin at all when hmm. there are actual anonymous cryptocurrencies like Monero, Zcash, various yeah. others that would have given them more anonymity and wouldn't have allowed people like you to get anywhere close to them. That's another very good question. Maybe they just didn't know about these Maybe they hadn't Googled them. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so, so I'm looking at these three wallets. Everybody's looking at these three wallets. Journalists, everybody, we're all looking at these three wallets. Yeah. August the 3rd... 3 a.m. They all get cleaned out. Cleaned out? Yeah, it's empty. They're all three emptied. Right. So I'm like, okay, well, this is interesting. Everybody's thinking, this is great. We can find it. We'll work out now. Wherever the money went, we'll just find out because that'll be who, you know, who did the crime. Yeah. The problem is it then falls into, if you look at the transactions, it just dissipates and vanishes into loads of different wallets. And you go, oh, a bit of money went there, a bit of money went there. And people just went, that's it. You'll never trace it now. But why? I mean, you still know which wallets it went into. Okay, exactly. there might be a lot of them, but you can still go to yeah. those wallets and then see what happened next. Exactly. And that was exactly what I was thinking. Now, now, if you're, you're telling me the National Crime Agency just went, oh, it's gone into other wallets. I mean, God, it's a long way to go to kind of have a look at those ones. I can't, I can't really be bothered. I don't know. All I know is I thought this would be a good use of my time. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. The, thing, the other thing is, it, this is what's called tumbling. When you, you, you transfer money through different Bitcoin wallets, it's yes. called tumbling. A good tumbling exercise, you'll use hundreds of different wallets. And, and the other good thing you need to do is, if you're going to do this, is you need to split the money 50-50. So if you have some dodgy money, you transfer it to one wallet, but you mix it 50-50 with, with clean money. Right. And that way, when you transfer the money on, it's very difficult for an investigator to know which... Is it dodgy money that went onwards, or is it clean money that went onwards? Do you okay. see what I mean? Yes. So you mix 50-50, but in this case, they didn't. They, they, didn't, they only used about 12 wallets, and they, whenever they transferred the money, they'd do maybe nine Bitcoin over here and then one Bitcoin over there. Right. So I could trace the nine, and I knew the nine was dodgy. And then they'd, tra- they'd send maybe six this way and three this way. And i go, well, I'll, I'll follow the six, because I know the six is dodgy. Why do you know the nine are dodgy and not the one? Well, I'm not bothering with the one. The, one, the one's dodgy, but it, then that, that might then get mixed with three, and then I don't know which one to follow. Whereas if I'm following the bigger number all the time, yes. even when it shrinks down, as long as I'm following the bigger number, I know that I'm still following dodgy money. I mean, surely it's all dodgy money, though, because it's all in a dodgy Bitcoin address uh, owned by a dodgy person. Well, yes, but you could try... I mean, some of the... Who knows? Some of the wallets they were transferring it into might have been owned by people who, you know, were innocent. Could be innocent. I don't know. All I know is I'm trying to I'm trying to trace the dodgy money, the black money, through this. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that makes sense, I suppose. So, I'll, t- look, I'll show you. I've got it on the screen. Hang on, hang on. Right. So, this is... That's what it looks like, right? So those are the three... This is a great bit of radio, this. Look, <laughs> look at this on the screen here. These are the three wallets, right? Yeah. And then it goes it goes into each one. It splits it into two wallets. And then it splits it into two wallets. But, so, you know, you get this impression that the whole lot is being dissipated. Yeah. But if you follow the bigger amounts, look what happens here. It they all, all head back to one wallet. One wallet. 
And you found that one wallet. And I found that one wallet. And the feds didn't have a clue, Who knows? Who knows what the feds knew? I knew I've got that wallet. And I also know... Well, there's your story, Jeff. If I can... No, 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 because that's just a number. What I want... Right. Remember, I was, I was working in telly at this point. I want the person behind it. If I can find out... You can't put a number in jail. You can't put a number in jail. You can't put a number on telly, Glenn. <laughs> Not that we don't try all the time. But it's more exciting, isn't it? <laughs> if you've got somebody there. So I'm now working out who owns that wallet. Mm. And it didn't go well. <laughs> In the next episode, you'll hear how I chased a completely innocent man down the street with a video camera, how he led me to my next suspect, and how computer gamers get rich by literally selling their own skins.